just before the service, we talked a little bit about Hebrews chapter 6. And I thought, let, let us just touch on that before we get into the message for tonight. Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, also Hebrews chapter 10. You know, it's a scripture that's been used so many times, bringing fear in the lives of people. I've said it last time, and I want to say it again. If you go to McDonald's, you don't buy spare parts for your car at McDonald's. Because they don't sell that. They sell food. They're in the food industry. So what you get at McDonald's is food. You don't buy motor parts or uh, uh, tennis racket for your kid or anything like that. Because they are selling food. In the same way, when you come to the throne of grace, of God, it's a throne of grace. You cannot find condemnation there. You cannot find judgment there. You don't find wrath there. You don't find anger there. It's, the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. To receive help in the time of need. So grace is God's mercy and help that influences your life unto the very being of God. That is the grace of God. That is the throne of grace. So when you go to the throne of grace, only expect that. Go with that mindset. That's all I'm going to receive there. When we go to Zambia, we only go with one thing in our mind. We're going to present people holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. So that people can believe what Christ has done for them. So that they can attain unto what Christ has done for them. Amen. doesn't help we come with a list of things of what they've done wrong. Because they know what they do wrong. You know what you do wrong. If you don't know what you are doing wrong, if you think you are perfect by your works by the works of the flesh, then we can open up the law and prove to you that you are not able to be saved by your works. The Bible says we can use the law, but we must use it lawfully. In other words, in a correct way. So the law is there, so we can use the law for what it's there for. The law is there to point to man that by his own ability he can never be righteous. That's what the law is there for. So we don't... We can read the law. We can read the Torah. No problem, you know. But then we must see Christ in the law. We must preach the gospel. The end of reading the law, if we take the Torah, for instance. You can, you, without the New Testament, you can just take the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, and you can preach the gospel. But then what you say must line up with what Paul said. Because he used the first five books of the Bible, and some of the prophets and whatever, and he preached the gospel of grace. So we can't come with a different message if we, if we say the Old Testament is valid. The Old Testament was used by Paul and scriptures was put together to come to one message. And that is that through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness came as a free gift to all of us. Through the disobedience of one man, Adam, all were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, we shall be made righteous. And we place our faith in His obedience and in what He's done and we call Him our Savior. That is the Gospel. In a nutshell. That is the whole Gospel. Amen. So, um, when we go, whenever you read the Bible, my friend, take the Bible from the perspective, I'm going to read in this book what Jesus has done for me to bring perfection to my life. Hallelujah. Don't read it from a mentality of a, uh, with a shortcoming mentality. Read it with a mentality to see what Christ has done for you. To see who Jesus is. So that you can know who you are and what He has given to you as a free gift. I've said it before. If you hitchhike from here to, Johannes, uh, from, from here to Johannesburg, 
you, um, you might get there, you know, if you, by just walking, if you just walk, you might get there. But if somebody is merciful to you and gives you a lift, you arrive at your destination much quicker with so much more comfort on the mercy of another man than on your own ability. In the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only thing is, by our own works, we will never reach the destination. We have to have a lift and there's only one car on that road. (laughs) There's only one car on that road. And that is the car of God's throne of grace. The vessel of mercy that God has come and brought to all of man so that we can get into that car and go on the mercy of God to the destination that God has for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The other day I, I, I spoke to, um, to somebody about uh, theology. And um, he, he wrote to me, he said to me, Bertie, you know, this one guy is this, this great theologian and this theologian says this and that theologian says that. So I asked him, um, what is your definition of a theologian? Because uh, if, if, if you don't know what a theologian is, you might think that somebody that studies the Bible is a theologian. Uh, theologian is two, two Greek words, theos and logos, where we also get the word logic from. Theos is the word God, God's logic. So a theologian is somebody like Paul, that could take the Old Testament scriptures and see the logic of God, which was Jesus Christ, in those scriptures and reveal it to people. That's a theologian. If you don't do that, you, you are called a scribe. You're a scribe. You're not a theologian. <laughs> That's why it became theologians. It's people that could see the logic of God. God's logic for me and you is very simple. If you ask God, uh, uh, are your people blessed? He will say, yeah man, it's logical that they're blessed. Here's the representative that did it all for them. Why are your people blessed? God, why is your church blessed? Why are your people blessed? Why are they righteous? It's logic. One man obeyed on their behalf. That's the logic of God. So, God's logic for us is God inside a human being. That's God's logic about me and you. It is I live in you. God's logic was not to get us to fake who He is. Or to try and imitate who He is by our works. God is not interested in somebody that, that's a copycat. Trying to copy God. He's interested in the real thing and that is living inside every human being and giving the life of God to every person as a free gift. Hallelujah. Is that too complicated? (laughs) Please, I don't want to preach complicated message. (laughs) It blesses me. So, when it comes to theology, um, theology, you, you, you cannot come with a message that points out man's inability to be like God um, without placing the answer which is Jesus Christ in that very same sentence and say that you're busy with theology because theology is God's logic what does God think? what's logical to God? it's logical to God that if one man can bring the whole world into condemnation and sin that one man can bring the world into righteousness and that message is preached Whosoever believes that partakes of what Christ has done and we've got that life in us. Hallelujah. 
And that we take that simple gospel, we take, we place that in finances, we place that in healing, we place that in righteousness, we place that in bearing fruit, we place that in spiritual warfare, we place that everywhere, then you know you are preaching God's logic in every area of life. Amen. Now, maybe I will not qualify as a theologian concerning my degrees and all those type of things, (laughs) because I've only made standard 10. But that's good enough. Amen. The, the best thing they can ever teach you in school is to read. Amen. If they can just teach you to read and calculate, that's enough. <laughs> if you want to be a preacher. <laughs> Amen. And then God enlightens your mind to see Jesus in scriptures. Thank you, Jesus. Right. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. So when we go to Hebrews 6, we're not going to read Hebrews 6 from the perspective of how can we be condemned. We're going to read it to see Jesus in it. If people, if if I tell you, um, go and dig for diamonds, but you've never seen a diamond in your life, you know what, you will never find one. You will throw away the diamond as dirt. That's what you'll do. In the same way, before you can understand what the Bible says, you first need to understand what the gospel is. And that comes through people sharing it with you. I don't say that it's completely impossible that you can get it just from reading the Bible. You can. And there are people that just read the book and understood what was written and God opened it to them. But most of the time, I didn't get the gospel from reading the Bible. Somebody came and shared this message of grace with me. When I understood it, I read and it opened up. Wow! Because now I know what I was looking for. I was looking for the message of the cross, the message of how righteous we are in Jesus, how we have been forgiven, how we are saved by the obedience of another person, how we've got access into this by simply believing it has been done by Jesus for me. That's the simplicity of this gospel. And now with those eyes, we read this. If you put on glasses that's yellow, Everything is in shades of yellow. If you put glasses that's blue, everything has got the shade of blue. If you, put the, if you put the glasses of grace, which is the truth, the glasses of Jesus as my Savior on, then you're going to see the truth of Scripture. Amen. Right. I read from verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and from faith towards God, and of the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So he says, let's not preach these things again. Once people have heard that, let's not preach it again. He says, and this we will do if God permit. So, he doesn't say that he will never do it. He says, let's not go to people that has rejected this message and continually nag and nag and eventually fight with them. I'm now using my own words and, and, uh, um, there to try to explain this. And continue to try to fight with them. If they've rejected this, just leave them. Now, I might say, but do you leave them forever? No, no. You as a person. I've seen it so many times. I preach grace to this guy. He just gets offended. And then I preach again and again. After a while, we're just going to fight. Because now it's a pride issue. It's not a spreading the gospel issue anymore. Just leave him because God loves him. God will send somebody else. You know, and then God will speak through that person to him. And through another person. And through another person. Right, okay. So it's not as if he's abandoned to hell. 
Okay, but now listen to this now. And this we will do if God permit. For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Now I tell you that scripture has condemned many people for many years. But thank God for freedom. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And the simplicity in which this was written, where the law system came and robbed us from seeing the simplicity of that word. Let me explain to you this way. I sell second-hand cars. Or new cars, whatever. And I come and I sell you a new Lexus. And you get into the Lexus. You buy the Lexus, it's yours. You're a partaker of that car. You experience the comfort of the car. You experience, I mean, all the safety features. You know it's there, the 20 airbags and the whatever is in a Lexus. You know, you experience the surround sound, the leather, the comfort of the seat. You know, the, what, those satellite navigation. Everything's there, the sunroof, everything, everything. You like it. You know, you, oh, you bought it, it sounds good, you're in the car, you drive it. After a week or two, you come back, you say, this is a rubbish car. I don't like this car. What's the chance that I will sell that same Lexus to you again? No. Because that was not appealing to you. And that's the explanation of that scripture. That is the explanation of that scripture. If you have been enlightened, you've tasted the Holy Spirit. You've tasted all those things, the powers of the world to come, everything the gospel has to offer. And you go back to the law and say, this is not for me. What's the chance that I will come and re-crucify Christ to you, explain Christ to you again, that you'll buy into the very same thing that you've rejected and you've tasted it all? So, and then he says, God, I will still go and preach it again. It's not that people, that people cannot but the, the impossible there that is used there is not impossible like in once you have now come to a place where you say I've fallen back into the law system and I've been circumcised now and I'm circumcising my kids to, to bring in the true context of that, of that verse that um, th- that man can never be saved again God rejects him that, the context of that is not God rejecting people the context of that is people rejecting God and then Paul says I'm not going to try and convince them again for they know, they know it all and now I come and I try to sell something they've tasted, understood, took part in and don't want it. You know, I've, I've, I spoke to a friend of mine, you know, that has been in grace in this message. And then he came to a place where he's rejecting it. Do you know what? doesn't matter what scripture I quote, he says, I've heard that. Man, I've, already, I've also believed that. So how difficult will it be? Because all you do is you just re-crucify Christ to him. And th- th- that is the power of the gospel. And he doesn't accept that. And then if God permits, if I feel in my heart I should do it, let's put it in simple words, then I will preach that gospel to him again. And m- he might then just see, well, yeah, okay. But what's the chance? I had a 1962 Land Rover. I went with that Land Rover from Bredasdorp to Western Zambia. <laughs> Like I said to the guy, I was going 80. He says, you're a liar. 
Yeah. I think can't go 80. <laughs> I don't want a Land Rover. Especially in 1962. Again. I will not buy one. But that thing has got wonderful 4x4 ability. Yes, I know. I did use it in 4x4. And I snapped the front shafts. Side shafts. No, but that thing is wonderful. Yes, if it doesn't leak oil, it doesn't have oil. In it. <laughs> I, I've had it before, so I'm not going to buy it again. I've tasted it. I've, 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 I've had the, all the good qualities of 4x4. Four four. Everything was in there. And I've tasted that. I don't want that thing. You can't sell me one. You just come with the same thing. If somebody sells you a Kirby, and you look at the Kirby, it, it shows you everything. And afterwards you say, well, that's not good enough for me. If that same salesperson comes with the same tactic, do you think you're going to buy it now the second time? No. He's going to now start to get upset. Because can't you hear? And that is basically what this is talking about. It's not talking about somebody has committed the sin, and because he's committed the sin, God is casting him out. That's not the context. That's not the context. So please, people, be blessed by that. That was just... It's not the message. It's just... We spoke about that before the time, so I thought, let me just share that. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Let's touch on finances in First Timothy chapter 6. For those of you that are here for the first time, don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared. Let me first let me first go to Philippians a very nice scripture Philippians Philippians 4:19 clearly states that my God will meet our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus by Christ Jesus so our needs are met so whenever you go to any church or listen to any message on finances you come with a mindset of, I will never have a financial need ever in my life. And then see as if that man can still convince you of what he wants to convince you of. Now listen to what I want to say. If you have got no need, the message you hear, will, you will not buy into a message that says, if you do this, then your need will be met. Because you'll say, my needs are met. So if you come with the gospel to me, come with something that says my needs are met and then teach me in finances. Don't teach me in finances so that I can get my needs met. Because my needs are met in Christ Jesus. If the need of my righteousness has been met in Christ Jesus, if the need of my holiness has been met in Christ Jesus, even the need of my obedience to the law has been met in Christ Jesus by His obedience on my behalf. How much more do you think that simple earthly needs like money has been met in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So whenever you come to God, whenever you come to any situation, you come from the perspective of, I've got no need. Matthew 23, verse 1, The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I didn't say, I'm a good farmer, I've been sowing, therefore I shall not want. 
it says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want, because he guides me to the place where there is food. You know, and when you go to Malachi 3, where it talks about the tithe, Malachi 3 is a prophetic word about Jesus Christ that comes to restore the priesthood. You can go on YouTube, I've uploaded a verse-by-verse explanation um, of what I say there, in depth. So there's a, there's a, a, a nice screen recorder with a verse there, you can go and, I've used every word, you can go and check this. It's six five-minute um, clips on YouTube. Just type in, Jesus is the tithe, and it will come up, okay, on YouTube. So, Jesus Christ is the tithe. In the Old Testament, it was prophesied that Jesus Christ will be the one that we had to partake of in order for the curse to be broken over our lives. We had to eat Him. Then when tithing came, Jesus said, or or God said, that you have to eat the tithe. So when you ate the tithe, what happened? You partook of the tithe. The tithe became part of you. Then in Malachi 3 verse 10 it says, If the true tithe comes to the storehouse, there will be meat in my house. Jesus calls His flesh meat. says, If you eat my flesh... You know, because my flesh is meat indeed, then the curse will be broken off your life. People, the curse can never be broken off your life because you give. If giving could take the curse away from you, Jesus died in vain. Amen. The Bible says we are cursed. People are cursed because they're under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law so that we will not be under the curse of the law. For cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. The Bible clearly says, let Jesus Christ, or let, bring ye all the tithe, that would ye, in the Hebrew, I've explained one night here, um, means Alpha, Omega, in the, in the Hebrew it's Aleph, Tav, bring the Alpha and the Omega, which is the tithe, to the storehouse, there will be meat in my house, you'll partake of the body of Christ, and the curse is broken over your life. Amen. That is the Gospel. That is the gospel. Because you will see just the the next verse, verse 11 and 12, it says, If you do this, then God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. For what happened to me, for my sake, what happened to me? I became the righteousness of God. Now, God rebukes the devourer. Who is the devourer? It is the law system that devours the fruit that's supposed to be in your life. The law is a devourer of good fruit. For the purpose of the law is to bring forth sin in your life. That's radical. My man, that's what the Bible says. Go and read Romans 5 verse 20. The law was added for transgression so that sin could abound. So the law cannot make anybody holy. It manifests the sin inside him more and more and more. That's what the law does. So, if you want to use the law, you use it on somebody that is stiff-necked, thinks he's righteous by his own works, and doesn't want to call on the name of Jesus. And show by the law to him that he is a sinner by his own ability. I had this thing on on, um, uh, uh, Facebook. Uh, This one guy spoke about the Sabbath. So, So he said, we must keep the Sabbath. So I I wrote some things to him and spoke. Now, I, I don't worry about him. I worry about the thousands that read it. <laughs> so if he gets convinced, I want him to be convinced, but I know that the crowd is much bigger than just him. Because there are many people reading that. So um, I spoke to him, he said, no, but the Bible says that we must keep the Ten Commandments. I said to him, it's fine if you say we must keep the Ten Commandments, um, but it will bring forth sin. He says, no, the Bible says, in 1 John 5 verse 3, that the, the, the law of God, or the commandment of God, is easy to keep. 
So I said, wonderful. It's two guys that attacked me. I said, we're going to take, I said, I'll pay for it. We'll take a lie detecting test. And we'll, I'll read the Ten Commandments, you just answer the question I ask. And then somebody else jumped in and says, no, he is a person that does that. He'll even do it for free. But by experience, <laughs> he knows that they're not going to qualify as sinless. They're going to stand guilty before the Ten Commandments. They're going to stand guilty. So the law is there to bring forth a manifest sin. So, back to Malachi 3. Why, what does the law do? It devours any good that can manifest in your life. Because the law is, man, is there to, to show you, you cannot do it. It's there to show you your shortcoming. Now he says, if Jesus come and we partake of Jesus, then God will say that He will rebuke the law system out of our life, so that the fruit that we can bear, we will bear, because of the Spirit that indwells us. Amen. That's the simplicity of it. But you cannot see that in Malachi 3. If you don't put the glasses on of the gospel of grace, Jesus and only Jesus. Amen. It's like the one guy, he wrote on fasting, you know. And he said, um, and I, I got this wonderful revelation on fasting. If we talk about fasting, especially in the Old Testament, there are instances in the New Testament where people fasted. But that can also be because it was a tradition and what people do. People in the New Testament were circumcised. Paul circumcised people. You know, there were people in the New Testament that, that uh, offered sacrifices still after Jesus. Christians. So we can't do it because they've done it. But if you look at tithing, uh, not tithing, uh, uh, fasting in the Old Testament. What is fasting? Fasting means I am not going to eat of that which sustains my flesh. So what is food that makes flesh grow? It's the law. The law manifests the inability of man. So, thank God, I'm on, I've been for 14 years on a fast now. Hallelujah. This 40 day fast is not going to work for me. No ways. Somebody said, do you want to read this book? No, I'm on a fast. Thank you. <laughs> I only want the gospel of grace. We don't want anything else. We don't want to pollute ourselves with something. Just feeding the flesh a little bit. To me, that's just what I spoke about. I'm not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Daily, we get offered, you know, a a, a nice slab of condemnation. (laughs) And daily, we get offered a nice, you know, pudding or piece of cake of um, works and do's and don'ts. But I'm not eating. I'm on a fast. Hallelujah. We are fasting. Amen. There is nobody that fasts like a person who believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I will never be condemned with fasting ever again. I've been delivered. When that guy wrote that thing on the blog there, I said, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. In the same way with finances. You come with a perspective of, He has done it for me. He has done it for me. And then, I want to say this, you know, I said to one of my friends, I said to him, he came to me and spoke to me about money and this and that. I said to him, you know what, you have, and he spoke about how much he gave in the past, in his life. I said to him, you've never given, my friend. The law gave your money away. (laughs) You've never given. 
I said, get into grace and the unconditional love of God. Feel what it is to have compassion on somebody. Feel what it is to be motivated by the love of God. And feel what it is when the Holy Spirit comes and reveals generosity in your heart and you feel generous. And out of that you give to somebody. Then you can say to God, be all the glory. Not to me. Because God is giving in me. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that cannot be imitated. It is either God in you or it's nothing. As simple as that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this liberating message. So, what I want to say to you is God meets your needs. Then the Bible says in Ephesians, in, in, in 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Was it 1 Timothy? Sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, with all of that in mind, concerning finances, you can understand this, this, this verse. Otherwise, if I just read this thing, it will condemn you. It says, Charge them that are rich in this world, talking about money, that they will not be high-minded, nor trust in the uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Okay, now, um, verse, sorry, sorry, verse 17, verse 17. Let me read it again. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So, the first thing I want to say to you is, I, I see myself as rich. People say, you shouldn't say you're rich, you know, because if you say you're rich, it's going to go bad with you. No, no. <laughs> I say what God says. And it is like that. I mean, we, we don't live in a shack. Um, we've got, I've got cars at home. I've got a home with electricity, with a TV and a radio. and a, uh, I've got a nice place. I've got a fireplace. I've, I've got a nice house. I, I, our income, we can buy food. We can buy clothes. We can put tires on the car. You know, so I see myself as rich financially, in the, even in the worldly standard. I see myself as rich. I don't see myself as super rich, but I live a good life. Thank you, Jesus. So I see myself in that category, and I'll tell you that most of us here are in that category or above. Then it says, charge them that are rich not to be high-minded. Now that is immediately speaking of the law. High-minded means I measure how godly I am by what I possess. Can you see it there? I measure, I'm not high-minded. In other words, I'm not thinking I'm better than others because I've got more. That's what he says there. Tell them not to be high-minded. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling people to guard against the law system of measuring by what you possess. Which we find so many times, I've said it so many times as well here, you know, that when I went to meetings, um, I know it happens in the world, it happens everywhere, but my meetings was pastor meetings. That was my businessman meetings, if you want to call it like that. Where people always go with, yes, this guy's car, you know. And you start to measure on, you know, what the guy drives, and you place him in that category because of what he possesses. If you place, even if you're poor, if you place somebody in a higher category than you because he owns and possesses more than you, you're in the law, my friend. 
They're in the law. Because what you say is, he is more than what I am because he possesses more than what I possess in worldly things. And that is just the opposite of being high-minded. That is just being foolish. Low-minded, or I don't know what you want to call it. Foolish. Foolishness. So we're not going to walk in foolishness thinking that somebody, because he's got a big car, because he's got a lot of money, because he's got all of those things, that you're going to give him special respect or special anything because he owns and possesses all that stuff. Because we don't want to degrade him and only value him according to what he possesses. We want to, we want to keep him in the place where he, where he belongs by valuing him according to the resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. So those that are rich, I want to tell all of you, let's not be high-minded. Let's not think that because we've got money, we are more righteous than anybody else. Our righteousness is not measured by what we possess. Okay? Then it says a very practical thing. Don't trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in money. Okay? Because it's very uncertain. Then verse 18. They that do, okay, also charge the rich that they do good, that they be rich in good works, the, um, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So what it says to those that do have finances, what does it say to them? Listen, don't place the value on who you, your value on what you possess. That's the first thing. Because when you see money just as money, and not as a measurement of your success, you will be able to, you'll be relieved from it. From the power of money. Because if you think that money makes you what you are, why will you give it away? <laughs> because you'll be in a competition with another guy. If he gets more, then he gets onto your level. So you're definitely not going to give to somebody that you think has got more than you. Never. You will not want to see somebody rich because he's in the competition with you. And money will have a hold on your life. So what it says is, listen guys, Christ has come to set us free. If you are rich, be willing in your heart to give. That willingness does not come out of a commandment that says you must be willing. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that fruit in your life, don't try and work it up. Don't try and fake it. Go and know more about who you are in Christ. Go and experience more about His unconditional love for you. How He gives freely to you. Know that if you don't give today, that God is not going to fall off His throne. Okay, I'm going to say, Oh, John didn't give. Can you believe it? I'm so glad you reported that angel so and so. No, God, is, God, God doesn't live with that. But God has also designed us and made us to be in His likeness and His image and I want the full package. I don't just want salvation of, oh, you know, God is not angry with me and that's it. No, no, He has saved us to a greater place than just not being angry with our sins. He has saved us unto His very being and nature, which is a giver and free, loving people. Now, I don't give because giving is giving. We give because of the love of God that compels us. That's why we do it. Amen. So, I want to say to all of you here, giving works this way. Number one, you're not under the law when it comes to the thing. Number two, you don't do it, or no, number one, you don't do it so that you can have your needs met. After all, if you give, you've got less. Very simple. If you've got a thousand bucks, you give away a hundred, you've got nine hundred. So if you, if you came here with a thousand rand and you give fifty rand, you've got nine hundred and fifty, I bet you. 
So you go home with less. So don't think that giving will make you rich in your money. Giving will make you rich in your good works. That's all. Because you will be able to add that good work to your name. Well, I've done that. That, As simple as that. And I don't go around adding to my name good works, but I will find that other people do. As what they connect to your name, your bad works. They just do it. That's just, that's, what, that's just what people do. That's what Paul wrote. He says, listen man, let's be rich in good works. Because we've got the ability, man. We've got the ability. Amen. So I don't know from what church you come from, where you come from, but if you want to give to that church, if you want to give to your pastor, if you want to give to the poor, be free to do that. Free from condemnation, thinking that God's going to take that low little sacrifice into consideration when it comes to your blessing. He's not willing to take your small little sacrifice of giving a hundred rand or a thousand or ten thousand to bless you because he's got a much higher thing in which he can bless you with, according to which he can bless you with, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So don't let people rob the power of what, 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 what blesses you, which is Jesus, by bringing in another sacrifice. Amen. Do you understand that? Any questions? Okay. Now, let's just stand up. And we just chat a little bit. And just for five minutes, we're going to get into spiritual warfare. Right. Last time here, the, the, the one old lady, <coughs> she phoned us from, I don't know from where it was. Um, she must be like, say, 70 something or whatever. And, and she got saved and, and, you know, on fire for the Lord. And um, then somebody gave her a DVD about house cleaning. It had nothing to do with vacuum cleaners. Or anything like that. We had all to do with devils in the portrait and devils in this and devils in that. So, so and, and then the way you clean your house is you take it off the wall. You can't give it to somebody because you don't want to curse them. I mean, you burn it. I tell you, if I can just have some of the stuff they've burnt. <laughs> and um, so she said, she thought she's just going to take a mattress... Put it right out of the house. She phones, you know, and burn the house. Because, <laughs> because everything there, you know, is just like some devil somewhere, you know. And then she saw me on television. She was so happy. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace message. And then she ordered some CDs and stuff. <laughs> some CDs and stuff. You know, so many times we, we can get so devil conscious that we don't know what spiritual warfare is about. Spiritual warfare is not about binding devils, casting out devils. I've said it many times, we only cast devils out of people where demons manifest. Now you might say, badly, I don't know about that. Well, that's, I do it that way, then I'm safe. Then I know he's got a devil. You know, because a demon manifests. When we go to Zambia, and when we pray for people sometimes, demons manifest, we cast the devil out. And that's fine. You know, we, we do it that way. But looking for a devil behind every bush... You know, it's not going to work. And even if people do have demons, you know, leave it. Teach them the gospel of grace. If grace can take place, can, can find its place in that person's heart, the devil will leave automatically. That's, that's it. We don't have to have a big thing where people roll on the ground, shout and scream, come out devil. And what, what I've seen as well, uh, and this morning I spoke on that on, on, the, on our live broadcast. It's, you get uh, uh, people that go and ask Satanists what the devil does. 
So they can now know how to now do this spiritual war. Now being educated by the devil. <laughs> I mean, you're being taught of Satan. Now that demon said that there, and they're using this plan. No, you're being taught of the devil. That's a, don't ask the devil. Ask God. And our spiritual war is not, um, because the scripture says here, it's against powers and principalities and all those wicked things, you know, um, we think that we must, many people have been taught that for years, you stand against the devil now. And if something bad happens, we want to see Satan in the thing and rebuke the devil. Now, um, I don't want to say that the devil cannot work in people. He does. And this is, this is what this is about. It's how Satan works in people. The way Satan works in people is to give them a mindset where they don't qualify so that he can give them rules by which they can try and qualify. And by trying to qualify, they are under a system that brings forth sin in their life. And in such a way, he destroys people. That's it. That's exactly what, what, what this, this uh, uh, verse is about. It's about what the devil does, you know, in people through doctrine. Now, um, what I'm going to say is very interesting because we're going to bring in good works into this because good works preachers. You know, if I've got the... Oh, let me start in the beginning. Let's just read here in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So we are strong in the Lord. Many people today are strong in the Lord, but they are not strong in the power of His might. They're strong in the Lord. They say, Jesus died for my sins. Hallelujah. So God, um, so if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to heaven. And I make sure that, I'm keep, that I keep my salvation by just doing good things. So I got salvation as a gift. I keep salvation by living a good life. And that is being strong in the Lord, in what is done, bringing salvation as a gift. But not strong in the power of His might. Now, what is the power of His might? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I've mentioned it last time. I want to just uh, uh, recap a little bit on that. Ephesians 1.17. It's a prayer that Paul prays. He says, he says um, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, just uh, uh, quickly there, what is a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him? A spirit of wisdom and revelation is when you've got the attitude of a, a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for you, and you can apply it in every area of your life. I've had many times when people come and they say to me, um, and I've, I've even struggled with it my, in my own life, where they will say, well, Bertie, what should we do concerning tithing? Then I will share with them the gospel of grace. They will say, oh, hallelujah, you know, amen, bless God, and then they are set free. But the next guy comes and says, if we walk around the town and anoint the, the, the areas where the main roads come into town with oil, then God's going to bless the nation or the town. Then they fall for that again. So they've got wisdom where you explain it, but not a spirit of wisdom where they have, have got an attitude of what Christ has done and apply it to every area of life. So he prays here, he says, listen man, I don't just want you to have a little bit of wisdom, I want you to have an attitude of this wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus. 
Amen. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what we can expect of what He's done for us, and what the riches of the glory of His inherent inheritance is in the saints, and, that, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Now, that sounds like massive. He's, what he's saying is, listen guys, my prayer for you is that you will be so wise in what God knows about everything in life. How God applies Jesus in every area of life. I want you to be wise in that and have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's what I'm praying for you. Then, I want you, with this enlightened mind, you'll come to the knowledge and experience the greatness of His power that works in you. And this power that works in you is in accordance to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This power that works in you uh, is in accordance to what happened to Christ when He was raised from the dead unto life. And understanding what that means, understanding how we apply that in every area of life. Now he goes to, we go back to Ephesians 6 verse 10 again. It says, be strong in the Lord and in this resurrection power that took you from death to life. So what have we, we've been taken from death to life. Now let's go to Ephesians 2.10. And just look at what we've been created into. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, dying as a man under the law, raised by the Holy Spirit, not by obedience to, to the law, but raised by the Holy Spirit into immortal life, He was raised up into holiness, into righteousness, into the very being of God in human flesh. Now He says when He was raised, what happened to Him? We, the whole world, us as believers, we were recreated. He says here, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He has before ordained that we should walk in them. So, <laughs> oh hallelujah. The problem that I've seen with a salvation message is, you get saved, and then you must try to bear fruit. They separate, and I've done it myself when I preach the law, I've separated salvation from good works. And that robbed us from the power of God unto good works in our lives, free from our efforts. Because we have been recreated in Christ unto good works. So that you don't have to try to be generous. You don't have to try to love people. You've been created and saved into that. That's what Christ has done for you. He has saved you into that awesome life. So now he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, in what He has raised you up into. Now we're busy with spiritual warfare here now. Now, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, when was He tempted? The Bible says He fasted for 40 days and then He became hungry. When He was hungry, the temptation came. Because there was a need. Wherever there's a need, you can be tempted. But if there's no need, you cannot be tempted. So, if good works manifest in your life, how will Satan tempt you? 
Now, this might sound a little bit confusing, because you say, Bathy, do I need good works for Satan not to tempt me? I believe Satan even tempted Adam and Eve when they were only in good works, when they were perfect. But there was a way in which he does it. Now, the Bible says also there that um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the next verse there, but against powers and principalities. And then he says, take on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles in Afrikaans translation is translated as lister, which speaks of lust. So it says, when, when you are in a spiritual war, this is the way it works, this is the way Satan works. He wants to tempt you with the lust that he has. And what lust does he have? His lust is not after woman, after money, after those things. The lust that he tempts you with is to be like God. That's what he tempted Adam and Eve with. He tempted them to say, you can be like God by doing right and wrong. You can, you can be like God by finding the origin of who you are in knowledge of right and wrong. And when you partake of that, then you're going to now be like God by doing the right thing. That's how he tempted Adam and Eve. And what happened to them? They fell into sin. And he hasn't changed. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of how he works. That is how he works. So, what will he want to do? What did he do with Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God. He used the most powerful weapon against Jesus. Remember, he's trying now to get down Jesus Christ. What does he use? His most powerful weapon. He says, when Jesus was hungry, he says, take the stone, make it a bread, and find your sonship in what you do. He says, if you, he says, if you're the son of God, take the stone, make it a bread. Just before that, 40 days before that, he was baptized. God said, you are my son. Now he's going through a hard time. When he's in a hard time, Satan says, don't find your sonship in the fact that God said it to you. I'm using my own words. But base your sonship in what you can produce out of your own power. Okay. If you can do good, that means you are the son of God. That means, and now in, in, a, in, in a Jewish sense, if you say you're the son of God, it means you are equal with God. It is really like that. So, you are now a son of God, if you can do this thing. So, what does he want to do? He wants to use a place where you see a shortcoming in your life. Then he wants to give you a thing you must do, if you can get it right, so that you can find your sonship and what God says based on what you get right. That's how he tempted Adam, that's how he tempted Jesus, and that's how he tempts us. Only that way. And the best weapon you can ever use to somebody is if you can create, if, 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 if man has been made to be like God, and you can teach him that he's not like God, his desire will be to be like God. And then you use that desire as the weapon against him to follow your legalistic system and produce death in that person. Very sly, the devil. He uses a desire to be like God to kill you. And that is what it says that, the, 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 that uh, we war against an enemy that wants to tempt us with his lust, which is to be like God. That's what Satan wanted to do in the beginning, be like God. By his own works. 
Now, you guys, I can't go through the whole thing again. Get my series on, on, on the fulfillment of the law and the origin of the law that's on, on the um, internet or you can just order it here. We will send it to you. So, we must know that. That is how He wants to tempt us. Now, where does good works come into this thing? Where you see a shortcoming, that is where Satan tempts you. And if he could come with a message that says, you are only saved, you must still produce the good works. There will be an absence of good works. Because now the good works part is based on your own ability. And your eyes will always be on what you don't get right. You always see your shortcoming. And then he will get, come in there with condemnation and judgment and all those type of things. It's like, like the one guy wanted to tempt me to, uh, to start to celebrate the Sabbath on a, on a Saturday. You know the Saturday thing. I couldn't fall for it because I asked him, what do you want me to do on that day? He says, no, that day you can share the gospel. And I said, but I do that every day. There's just no need. What do you mean you want to... You can't tempt me. There's no hunger or desire for that thing. Now, I'm going to get to what if we don't have fruit in certain area of our life and what do we do there? Because we've also got that scenario. But let's first stick to this. When we are in our war that we are in, one thing that I've realized here is we have been created unto good works. Part of our salvation is not, well, I'm saved, now I'm going to try and use the power of the Holy Spirit to obey the law. No, no. We are saved unto the very person of God. You don't ever have to try and get rid of uh, uh, selfishness. You never ever have to try and get rid of, I don't love people. Christ got rid of that for you. On the cross. And by faith you can simply receive the new life. Without trying to change. The only change that's lasting is effortless change that comes out of a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's the only lasting change. It's the only thing that will keep you on track. Amen. Any change that comes through efforts is only there as long as what you put in the effort. And you can only put in the effort as long as what you don't feel tired. The moment you become tired, you can't put in the effort. And then you change back to the old system again. And then comes with that will be a need for good works already in your heart. It's an opportunity for the devil to come and say, Well, if you can change this, then you are the righteousness of God. Now you try in a law system to change that, you don't get it right. Then depression starts to grab a hold of your mind. People become depressed. That's why a lot of Christians today, they, they, they say statistics as, uh, uh, shows that um, you get just as much suicides amongst born-again people as what you get about people that never believe in Jesus. And that 70% of people in America, um, uh, uh, mental institutions, are born again. 70%. I, you know, it, it, it's a miracle that it's not 90. Really. Because what happens is, people t- get told that Jesus saved you, washed you clean, and then they get the Ten Commandments plus another list. Now they can't do it, and now, with a passion of Christ in them, a scripture like Hebrews 6 gets used, if you willfully sin after you've come to the knowledge of Christ, Hebrews 10, verse 26, then you have squandered your salvation, and people feel condemned, they become mad. 
They lose their minds with condemnation and judgment. Where Christ has come to set us free and saved us into good works. And now, with this gospel of, well, I'm saved now, then I must do, we kill ourselves. And that is the weapon of the devil. Trying to kill the body of Christ. Not telling them they have already been saved into good works. You don't have to try and do that. The only change that's of God is effortless change that comes through a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But Bertie, I don't see this change in my life. That's fine, my friend. Hallelujah. Let it be a sign unto you that you can know more of the unconditional love of God. And another thing I want to tell you about change in your life. It can point to two things. Number one, it can tell you, listen, there's more to know about Jesus in that area. If you've got a revelation of grace in that area and you don't see a manifestation in your life in that area, the Bible says God has given us patience. That is what that word patience means. If you don't see that now, you believe in Jesus Christ, you wait upon the Spirit of God to bring forth that thing in your life patiently. (laughs) Listen, if the message of God's love and God's care for you couldn't get that thing to change in your life, do you think you now by willpower, that you've already tried for 20 years, going to get it right now in 5 minutes and keep it there? The thing is, we've got this recommit button. You know? You feel like a sinner and you recommit. And you recommit. And you recommit. And some of us, our recommitter has been worn out. There's no other way anymore. It's either God or nothing because I can't recommit anymore. I'm tired. Because of, because of this war we are in and we're not understanding. So, number one, I believe that God has saved us right into good works. We have been created in Christ unto good works which He has beforehand prepared that we should walk in there. It's like a hand that has been, and a glove. This glove has been created for that hand. The glove was first created. Then the man was created for the purpose that that hand can go into that glove and will fit nowhere else. We have been made by God into good works. So stop to try to bear good works. Know who you are. The Bible says put on. It says put on these good things. Put on the new man. That word put on in the Greek means sink into. Now how much effort do you use to sink into a swimming pool? There's gravity that takes you in there. You can't but stop. If you walk on quicksand, how difficult is it to sink into the sand? It's difficult to stay on top. So this is what this message produces. Now, when we see this good works, the moment we get this revelation, temptation will be much less. Because we will not have the sin consciousness anymore where Satan say, well, if you give a bit more, then you are, you know, then you are a generous person. No, no, I'm generous because of the recreated man that I am in Jesus Christ. My, genero- my generosity is not measured on how much I give today. Because then, if I give today, I'm generous, tomorrow I'm not. The day after that I am, the day after that I'm not. Now, now, some people will only be generous for one day in the month. Because they only give once a month. No, no, we, we don't find who we are and what we do. We've been created into Christ. That is who we are. That's what we've been created unto. 
And we're not going to fall for the tricks of the devil because he tries to tempt you into, uh, um, into showing you your shortcomings and then telling you what you must do to get it right. You don't get it right. I've got a friend. You know, he, wants it, he, he tries to change but not applying the, the, the good news message. And he phones me every week, Bertie, I'm just a nothing. Oh, my life is falling apart. You know? I can't make it. And that is just where the enemy wants him. Then he tries again, he fails. I tell you, that is not life. And I tell you, the more you fail, the more you will take those deeds, because you're already in a place where you believe your deeds determines who you are, you will get so depressed, you will get so negative, you will eventually say, I don't want to live. This Christian thing doesn't work for me. You'll say, well, I'm, I'm just not holy enough. But let me tell you, that is what the devil wants. That is not a life of victory. Let's go to... Uh, um, Galatians 5.19 We've been so scared of, um, and what I've seen is, as a, a person that preaches grace, when you talk about fruit, it's almost, especially in, in circles where people only, you know, believe in this message, it's almost like dangerous ground, you know, you shouldn't talk about fruit. Because people have been so condemned about fruit. But we can't not talk about it, because it's part of what we've been saved into. Why, do, why will we preach half a gospel? Because somebody else abused the gospel. doesn't make the gospel not true anymore. Amen. Right, Galatians 5. So, and then we're going to read two more scriptures and wrap this thing up. 5.19. Let's, let's read first from verse 17. Verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh. Now what is, what is the works of the flesh? Is the works that man does in his own ability by trying to obey the law to be righteous. Okay. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I told you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of believing in what Jesus Christ has done for you, okay, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So, what is the fruit of believing this good news? The fruit of believing this good news is not, well, God's not going to be angry with me, and then I must try hard. No, no. The fruit of this is, I've been saved into the very being of God. And the Bible says that the righteousness of God is manifested from faith to faith. As you believe this, you'll start to see it in your life. Let me just say this, 
uh, maybe you're here for the first time, you don't understand what I say about the law produces sin in your life. Paul says, I was alive without the law once. Romans 7 verse 9. He says, but when the commandment came, then he quotes, I think, the sixth commandment or something that says, um, you shall not desire. He says, but when I came under the commandment again, sin revived in me. And I died. And I came to this conclusion. That when I want to do something good, evil is with me. Now it talks about the life under the law. When I want to do the law with the inner man, I want to do the law. There's something good in me. But an inability to do it. But thank God for Jesus Christ who's come, come to set me free from that system. And gave me a new system by which I can live. Which is His Spirit that indwells me. The whole package includes good works, everything. You don't have to try and produce it by yourself. Amen. It's been given to us as a free gift. Hallelujah. Do you try to be saved? No, no. He's, he died for me, man. Do you try to be forgiven? No. He forgave me. In the same way you don't try to do good works. It is in me. It is who I am. It's what comes naturally to my life. Amen. And that's what Paul wrote. He wrote in, in, in Second Peter. Oh, Peter wrote in Second Peter. He said there, clearly, he said, Add to your faith temperance. To temperance, this, to that, that, kindness, brotherly love. He says, add to your faith all those things. We've always had this thing of, my faith is only, I'm going to be saved one day. No, no, add to your faith what you can believe has been included for you. What you can expect as a result of believing this gospel is long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, love, faith. As a free gift, without even trying it. How difficult was it for you to get the peace in your heart that if I die today, then I will go to heaven? It wasn't difficult. You believed on Jesus. And it happened. You didn't try and work it up. In the same way, you don't have to try and work up good works. It comes as naturally. But we've been deceived by the devil in saying it's very difficult to get it right. It's not. We don't even try. Our focus is not even that. Let me tell you something about good works that I want you to know tonight. It's not your vision to bear good fruit. That's not your vision. That is the fruit of believing in the gospel. Jesus is your vision. I look to Him. I don't look to, am I bearing fruit or not? Man, Paul says, I don't even judge myself. And if I judge myself, I find no mistake in my life. But that means nothing. Go and read 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I find no mistake in my life, but that means nothing. Because I'm not approved by what I do. I'm approved of Him. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if I judge myself, I don't see a mistake. But that's worth nothing. <laughs> in the same way, if I do see something, it's also worth nothing. But what the enemy does is he wants to use the place where you've got a bad work and he wants to get his foothold in there. But then we resist him. How do we resist him? Well, you know, you haven't spoken well to that person, you haven't walked in love. Or walk in love towards such and such a person. Or heal that person. Or do so many miracles. Or go give so much money. Or do this or do that. Then, you know, you, you are where you're supposed to be. I don't find my food is the Word of God. And he said, you are where you are supposed to be. And that's the word righteousness. To be as you ought to be before God. To stand as you ought to be. I've been made the righteousness of God. 
I stand in front of God as I ought to stand. Yes, but what about the shortcoming? I don't live by doing this thing. My life, the origin of my life, is the word that God spoke over my life. For He is not a man that He should lie. If God says that He made me righteous through His blood, then I am righteous. So whenever there is even a shortcoming, you know, we stand in what Christ has done for us. If there's no shortcoming, it's difficult for the enemy to come in. The only way he can, he can get in is by making you not believe what you are supposed to believe about yourself. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. You can become like God. In other words, first thing is, there's another way to be like God. Deceiving people. So if we just stick to the simple gospel, we will see that this works. We can quickly go to 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Let's just see something there. First Peter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God. That does not mean become stupid. You know, sometimes we think, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, I'm this awesome type of man. That's not what it means. When it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it means God's hand is doing a work in this planet by Jesus Christ. And we humble ourselves under His work. He said, you shall not be like God by your works. You are like God by what I've done for you. And we humble ourselves to what He does. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Okay, right. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now that is powerful, man. He talks about afflictions here. So what happens? They were suffering. The church were going through a hard time. Now the devil goes around in that hard time looking whom he may devour when they are going through a hard time. How? What does he tell you when you go through a hard time? Do this thing to get out of your hard time. And then you can say, I am truly a child of God. That's it. Well, you're going through a hard time financially. Well, get out of your hard time financially. That will be the stamp of approval that God blesses you. No. No, no. I patiently wait for the Lord. You will get me out. And if I never get out, that does not mean anything. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's here he's warning the people. He says, listen, it's not only you. Everybody is going through the very same thing, talking about Christians. He said, your, your brethren are also going through the very hard time. But watch out because the devil, submit yourself to the work of God. Not the hard time. The hard time is not the work of God. The, the hand of God is Jesus Christ. He's His hand extended to us. He's his hand, the hand of God laid upon man. Is Jesus. Submit yourself to what Jesus says. Jesus says you are blessed. Jesus says you are saved. Jesus says you are righteous. God says I've blessed you with all blessings in the heavens. That's what God says about you. 
Now they were going through a hard time. They were thinking, oh, is it just us? What's wrong with us? And that, when you ask, what's wrong with me? There. <laughs> You've already listened to the devil. That's what's, what's wrong with me? Why do you ask that question? Because you say, by doing something wrong, that's why I am where I am. You know, why is God not blessing me? Because Why? Like I spoke to a friend of mine, you know, he was doing business and then the deal would have been this big and then the deal was that big, but still a very good deal. He said to me, but why does it happen that way? I said, why are you surprised? The Bible says don't trust in uncertain riches. It's uncertain, my friend. This shouldn't come as a surprise. It could have been 10 million the next day. You know, it's the way it is. But we, we take our care, we put it on Jesus. If I've got a care that I feel I need to love more, I take that care and I don't try and sort that care out myself. I place it on Jesus. I say, the cross, the, resurrection, the resurrected Christ is inside me, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and I'm not going to try to change this thing to feel better about myself. I'm simply going to rest in what Christ has done. And I know by the power of God, I can have a confident expectation that this thing will change by what Christ has done on the cross. And I open my life for it. And you'll find God doing something in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So what does Peter say? He says, there are people suffering. But don't worry, it, your brethren have, happens to them as well. You're not worse off than they. You, there's not something wrong with you. and they, Everybody's suffering everywhere, man. But Lord, you know, my business went through a hard time. There's other Christians that also went through a hard time. So what does that now mean? Concerning my righteousness and concerning God's approval on my life. Nothing. It just means nothing. It just means some people are going through a bit of a hard time. <laughs> That's all. And now he says here, watch out. He says, um, submit yourself to what God says about you. My own words. And then verse 4. Um, oh, sorry. Not verse... Is it 5 verse 6? Sorry, man. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. For He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. How does he devour us? By getting us under the law that devours our good works and who we are. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing. How do we resist him steadfast in the faith? Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Talks about other Christians in the world. So he says, listen, don't let the devil come and say there's something wrong with you. Other things also happen to people. And if it hasn't happened now, previous somewhere in history, it has happened to somebody else as well. And we don't find, am I blessed of God? Am I obedient enough? Am I this enough? Am I that enough? By what we go through. Amen. Yes. 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 I mean, that's it. You know, we, when you go through a hard time in grace, it's so, e- it's, it's so much easier than under the law, because you don't walk with the accusation of Satan saying there's something wrong with you. 
All the time. You can walk in a hard time with your head held high, looking upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, knowing you are the righteousness of God. You can walk this earth as a king. Doesn't matter what's in your bank account. Doesn't matter how healed or not healed you are. For you've got a different point of reference, which is the resurrected Christ. Thank you, God. And that's why, if we take all this together, that's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His Son, that all that I've said tonight could become true. (laughs) Hallelujah! If I tell you now somebody loved you, He jumped off the roof and died for you. He will say, well, He must have loved me a lot, but what does it mean? Dying for me like that. I mean, I mean, what implication does it have? It is the understanding of the implication that has got power in your life. So, when we can understand what it implies that God gave His Son for us, it implies that we will never in our life again be living under the scrutiny of the world or the scrutiny that we had in our own lives. Over our own lives. We don't live by that anymore. We've been completely delivered from that system of rules and judgment. And he's bigger and he's smaller and he's, he's stronger and he's poorer and he's richer. And, and yes, you are qualified. Yes, you don't. You're a sinner. You're righteous. All those type of things have been taken away in Jesus. We've been made new. The Bible, said, the Bible didn't say he took the Gentiles and made them Jews. The Bible says he took the Gentiles, he took the Jews, took the law away and made one new man. So we are not saved unto the law of Moses. No ways. We are saved unto the very life of the resurrected Jesus. So that all that we have in our life, we can say to God be the glory. And God lives in me. Paul came to a point where he says, where he said, let me just read that. It's such a power. Do you have a message? Some, somebody. Good news. No, that's bad news, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in, in the message translation, it says in, in uh, um, Galatians 2, Paul said, I've tried to work my head off, keeping rules and regulations. He says, and then I found it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman, so that I could be God's man. He says, therefore, the good you see in me now, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I'm not going to go back on this and repudiate the grace of God. It says, for if a living relationship could come with law-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell you, and, and we are talking about spiritual warfare here. This is spiritual warfare, my friend. This is spiritual warfare. Like, the, like Umpedia Leroux said years ago, they asked him, what shall I do, Umpedia, to get this family curse? Off us. He said, stop believing it. Stop believing it. Because your belief is what gives you the power. If our belief makes what Christ has done real in our lives, it can also make anything else real in our lives. So watch out what you believe. And what you believe is directly linked to what you hear. So watch out what you hear. Amen. That's why I'm on a fast. (laughs) I'm fasting. I don't eat anything. Amen. I want to invite all of you to a lifelong fast. Fasting from all condemnation, judgment. Standing with our minds, knowing we are saved in Jesus Christ. Not being deceived by the devil, thinking that we've not been saved into a new man. Let me end off with this verse. 
when you hear this, don't hear, I must not try to get that right. If you hear that, it's not God speaking. When I read this, in your heart, it should say, thank you God. I'm free. Amen. Right. Galatians 5, again. I didn't read the whole thing. Paul even says in 2 Corinthians, he says, let us forgive each other. For we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. For if you don't forgive that person, what's going to happen? If you don't allow the forgiveness that's already in your heart. I said it this morning, it's more difficult to walk for a a grace believer, for for a person that believes the grace. You know, it is (laughs) more difficult to stress than what it is to live in peace. I tell you the truth. It's like Annette says, the secretary, she says she, she, she tries to stress about things, but she finds she can't. That's a nice place to be. Isn't it? I try to, but I can't. <laughs> I try to stress, but I can't. I try to stress about money, but I find, my mind says by now I should have stressed. But I don't feel any stress. Now that is what God talks about. As difficult as what it is for a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, that's under the law, seeking justification by his works, to live a righteous life, it's almost impossible. It's impossible. That's how difficult it is for a person who believes this message to walk in sin. But it's so far, even when I say it, my mind says, but it can't be that easy. When my mind says that, my spirit says, then it must be the gospel. If it's too good to be true, it's the gospel. Hallelujah. I'll rather go one day to God and say to Him, God, I'm sorry that I told people that you were so good, that you're so good. And telling God, well, I'm sorry that I said that you were so bad. You can never preach God good enough. Amen. He's a good God. Galatians 5, verse, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. <laughs> so you haven't crucified the flesh and now you try to get rid of your affections and lusts? No, no. The same package. When you receive that simple salvation, you've also received freedom from the power of sin in your life. And the flesh. You've received freedom, my friend. You have been saved unto that. If we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. So what he was saying is, listen, let's not make this a small, mediocre salvation. We've been saved unto this. It's a free gift. If you don't see it in your life, study the free gift more. Meditate more. Ponder upon the grace of God. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you, wherever there's a shortcoming in your life, the Bible says in Romans 8, I have time to explain that now, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for you. The Bible says God is mindful of us that we are only dust in our human ability. He knows that. You don't expect, there's certain things you don't expect of certain situations. God doesn't expect of you to be immortal today. For you are mortal. 
I'm not saying God's not expecting good things of you, but God is not a foolish God. He knows and understands that you need to hear this gospel, you need to believe this gospel, your mind needs to get renewed, and you will see the manifestation of these things. He's not now going to sit in heaven, well, I don't care if they know this truth or not, well, just beat them up, they don't listen. That's not who God is. That's not who He is. That's not the person of God. And after all, our faith is not directed towards stuff. Our faith is directed towards the person of God. If somebody tells you something, what makes what he says carry power, and you believe it, is the person who says it. If somebody comes to your, to your car selling oranges, saying, Listen, my luister my lani, hierdie is so soet. This is soetste wat daar nog ooit was. I don't know if you can believe it. But if my wife comes and she tells me, listen, these origins, they're really sweet. I believe it. I eat it expecting what she said. For I know who she is. Because my faith is not directed towards getting an orange. My faith is directed towards who she is. So we don't believe for stuff. We believe in the person of God. Knowing that all my cares is on Him. And I rest in that. Let's close our eyes. Father, <coughs> thank You for Your unconditional love. Oh Lord, this is so great. I just wish I could articulate this better. It is such a powerful gospel. Thank You Lord for people that are here tonight that could come and listen to this message. Feeling loved by You. I want to say to you, my friend, the Bible says the mountains will depart and the hills be removed. But my loving kindness, says the Lord, will never be removed from you. My ability and passion and desire to treat you better than what you deserve, to grant every wish, to fulfill every desire and to live every distress from you, shall never cease, says the Lord God Almighty. For you are my prized possession. You are the pearl of great price. You are that valuable sheep that was lost, that I did find again. You were my image on that coin that got lost, and I redeemed my image in you, giving you my very being. You are set free. You are holy. Go in this greatness. Go in this greatness and just let me live in you. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There's, there's, a, there's a businessman here that's looking at a certain deal and um, <clears throat> you're saying in your mind that if this deal doesn't go through, I'm not going to make it. And there are definite signs that, it, that it's and you're trying to throw a blind eye to it, that is not going to go through. Um, I believe God says that your salvation doesn't lie in that deal. Your salvation doesn't lie in that deal. Rest in me. Rest in me. The person that says, I will meet your every need. Rest in that. Don't rest in the deal. Hallelujah. Thank you, my God.